and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama and have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Lavender Tavern. Hail and well met. I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there. Why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time. A story. Written by Jonathan Cohen, The Lavender Tavern is an anthology podcast of original gay fairy tales. Each episode, or sometimes a two-parter, features a new self-contained story of fantasy with a moral lesson. Cohen, as writer, has worked with guest narrators and the indie network Faustian Nonsense to produce 18 episodes for the completed season one. The first episode of The Lavender Tavern is a story called The Unlucky Gambler. It's set in a world where everyone is given a set of dice as a child. Those who receive lucky dice go on to successful lives. The protagonist of this story, Anders, gets the unluckiest dice ever seen. How can a man find happiness when nothing ever goes his way? I spoke with Jonathan via Zoom. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to start the Lavender Tavern. I always say that I always wanted to be a writer ever since I was a little kid. That's sort of all I ever wanted to do. And I've been lucky enough that Pretty much all of my jobs have involved writing in some capacity. I've been very fortunate. Even though not all of the jobs have been great, I've worked my career and worked my love. And at the same time, I love to write fiction, and I started out really, really bad at it. I started (laughs) out really bad where, you know, somebody would say, my two-year-old sister could write a better story than you. That was grade seven, I think. But I, I think we've all been there, though. Oh, of course. And I mean... My first thing was, I want to become a published novelist. Back in the day when people were still going to publishing houses and not doing self-publishing. Right. So I kept writing and writing and writing pretty much all through my 20s. And by the time I got to about 32, I was good enough. And I sold my first novel to a small academic press. Then, what can I say? Uh, Life happened and writing did not happen. So last year, I ended up having some pretty major surgery. Mm. And for whatever reason, it dislodged something in my mind creatively. I felt an incredible urge to write and tons of ideas and thoughts and what have you. And I don't know if it was the anesthetic or the (laughs) surgery itself or whatever. I mean, I'm really curious. And it sort of petered out over the course of about a year. It is very interesting how, how it happened. So while the fire was hot, I thought, okay, time to write something. I didn't want to write a novel. It was a bit too daunting at this point. So I thought, okay, well, I have an idea for a visual novel. And I have an idea for a podcast. So which am I going to do? The visual novel would have required me to hire artists and programmers and developers and all that. And when I looked into it, the podcast, it seemed like I could do everything myself, literally. Mm -hmm. Right. I could write it, record it, 
cut it together and release it and nobody else would have to be involved. It could be just little old me. So I decided on the podcast. The great thing about fantasy is you're open to make up whatever world you want as long as it hangs together fairly consistently. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, my novel and my writing, fiction writing has always been gay and queer oriented. And I thought this podcast should be that too. There are some gay fantasy podcasts. There weren't all that many when I started. And then I had the idea for fairy tales. And the more I thought about it, I thought about sitting by the fire, telling somebody a story in a very quiet, calm voice. That's when I thought fairy tales. This sounds like fairy tales to me. And that was pretty much it. What is it about the medium and the fairy tales themselves that drew you to this? Why did you want to tell this particular story in this particular way? The thing that I loved about the medium is that you have the chance to create something a lot more immersive than simply text on a page. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, it's something that I could do in theory all by myself. Right. The writing, the acting, the cutting together, the music, putting music on and sound effects and what have you, that it was all possible for me to create something that was, was almost like a TV show, you right. know, and so much more immersive. And the other thing was, we've all seen the incredible growth of podcasts for the past I'd say 10 years, I guess. So it's become so mainstream now that it was something that was really in the back of my mind. The other thing, as I sort of mentioned, was I had been blocked from writing for so many years that I thought maybe if I wrote something in a completely different format, it would be a lot easier. Is there something in particular about fairy tales as opposed to, say, short stories that attracted you to this particular project? For me, the thing about being a fiction writer is that it's your world. Every story is your world. You are the god of their world. You decide whether things come out well or poorly for people, what kind of ethics and morals people follow, who gets judged and who gets rewarded. And fairy tales are basically morality plays. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what really interested me. They're morality plays where the narrator gets to step in a little bit more than usual in a story. A little bit heavier hand of saying, hey, I'm not only some random person telling the story, but I also have my own point of view. Fairy tales have always been interesting because, as you say, they're either like a moral lesson or they're cautionary. Mm -hmm. Don't go into the woods by yourself. You know, that kind of stuff. And because there is often um, a magical element to them, it seems to me that they're talking about primal forces uh, of whatever world they take place in. And usually they're in our world, but in a world that is removed, you know, uh, a long time ago. But they speak to these this idea that there are forces in the world which humans don't kind of understand, but nevertheless can have a great impact on our lives. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to approach a storytelling in that you're specifically telling uh, queer or gay fairy tales here, which I'm wondering, are you trying to rewrite the rules with this a little bit? Well, it's interesting that you say rewrite the rules. One of the biggest trends that I know of, at least for sort of fairy tale fiction, is retellings. Mm -hmm. Retellings are huge. I mean, Beauty and the Beast, I'm sure, has been done 50 times by now. And I thought about it very briefly, and then I thought, I don't want to do a retelling. I want to do something original. I want to do completely original stories, and I also want to do stories where being gay is generally okay. I mean, there are going to be stories where, for story purposes, it's not. But mm -hmm. in other worlds, it's unremarkable. 
It's not commented on. It's celebrated. It's the preferred method of, you know, I thought there have been enough centuries of people writing straight stories like that. We could use one. We could use one set of stories where it was different. Right. Like I'm thinking you could do Beauty and the Beast, for example, with two men or two women or or non-binaries. But I think that requires a, a deconstruction of the original story, because I think implicit in the story of Beauty and the Beast, there are gender roles that are assumed. And I think it's interesting that you're trying to tell new stories where maybe these kinds of assumptions aren't baked into our history or our culture. Yes, very much so. It's what you say about Beauty and the Beast, classic archetypes. And I mean, I think all writing, mine included, relies on classic archetypes. The person who goes on the quest or the person who gets revenge against someone else. I mean, these are all things that have been written about for thousands of years and that we can all relate to. But I guess it was a sort of a way of finding new stories and also working out some of my own mental thoughts and concerns as I wrote. I mean, each of the, each of these stories pretty much has some sort of personal connection to me. I mean, there's a very specific reason why I wrote them. Well, let's start with the first episode of The Lavender Tavern, which is The Unlucky Gambler. And you wrote this, and Joe Cruz is the narrator. I kind of skimmed your um, titles, and you've got different narrators for different stories. Why did you decide to go with um, having someone else do the narration on this story? So after I wrote this first one, this was the prototype story. And this was going to be everything. Everything was going to be based on this. I, I recorded it. I saw it was 28 minutes long. And I said, okay, every episode will now be 28 minutes. <laughs> right. This is, I'm, I can be pretty, pretty OCD that way. So I started writing them and I started recording them and I don't like the sound of my own voice. And it became harder and harder to go through and edit. And after three or four of them, I was almost ready to quit. Now, there are a few different Discord servers for podcasters, including one for audio fiction. And I had just started to explore them and happened to strike up a conversation with a woman who, it turned out, was starting a podcast network. Her name is Amy, and the podcast network is called Faustian Nonsense. Mm -hmm. They were getting off the ground. They loved what I was doing. Uh, They're very queer-friendly, and they invited me on board. And they said, look, we have voice actors. We have resources. uh, We can help you with the editing. And I said, you know, that would be wonderful, because that was a huge load off my mind not to have to do the voice. So I end up doing the intro and the outro, but I was really happy to hear Joe and Trevor and Ben Meredith. Those are the three folks from the first season, each with their own individual talents, bring these stories to life. What's it like to work with a network like Faustian Nonsense? It's great. As I said, I got in right at the ground floor when they were starting. They had a podcast which has not yet launched, uh, and they took on a whole bunch of podcasts. They've got their own Discord server, actually, for anybody who wants to drop by. In terms of content, they were completely willing to let me run with it. They wanted to make sure that there was a minimum quality standard for each episode. All of the things in terms of business decisions, that's their, they're the experts. For example, I wanted to release one episode a week. That was my original plan when I was doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, we want to drop the entire season at once on Valentine's Day. And I said, okay, sure. You said that 
a lot of these stories are very personal for you. I'm curious about your process into how you begin your writing and how you come up with the fairy tale to tell. I kept a simple plain text file that had a one-line description as I came up with them of each idea. In some cases, it was simply a title, The Merchant of Dreams. That was it. That's all I had was the title. Right. In other cases, it was an image for one of the stories called The Tavern at the Edge of the World. I live in a condo. There's a park beyond the trees. And one day there was a fog and the fog wouldn't come anywhere past the tree line. For some reason, it simply stayed there. Hmm. That gave me an idea for that story. The Unlucky Gambler, I think... I had the idea for the title, and it, it was much longer. The Unlucky Gambler and the Loaded Dice was the original title. Too long for the description fields in the podcast uh, <laughs> right. the podcast things, so I, I, I cut it down. So that's where I would start is generate a whole bunch of ideas, and then I'd say, okay, I'm taking this story, and I would outline it. So I might come up with 20 to 5 to 50 bullet points of each bit. Right. Plot points, so to speak. But very much that it's nearly something that can be easily transformed into the draft. And then the next step would be sit down and actually write the draft from that. And then after that, it was a matter of timing. I wanted all the episodes to be around half an hour long. So some of the stories had to be cut down slightly. Some of them had to be expanded into two-parters. Finally, there would be some changes that would actually be made during recording. Sometimes the producer or the actor would have a suggestion for a changed line, and I loved it. You said earlier that a lot of these stories come from a very personal place from you. Yeah. Is there a personal connection to The Unlucky Gambler? Oh, definitely. There's one paragraph that sort of sums up the entire story where those with lucky dice... Those with lucky dice lived good lives. And those with unlucky dice did not. But nobody spoke of luck because everyone had the same chance to pick a lucky set of dice. Some had to get unlucky dice. And that was that. So what about that speaks to you personally? I had been through a bunch of unusual circumstances and a lot of things had happened over the past couple of years. I was feeling particularly unlucky, although... I don't believe in karma or fate or anything like that. And it occurred to me that perhaps if there were a million universes where there were a million me's, one of them might have to be the one that got all of the unluckiness concentrated in him. You know, what if somebody was simply fated to be unlucky? Then thinking about it, of course, dice. I think what's interesting, though, is that In this fairy tale, you set this up as the protagonist, Anders, has got the worst luck possible. But I think the message you're trying to get across here is that even though he's unlucky, he still can find happiness or satisfaction in his life. And also the fact that he happens to bring luck to others in certain situations in ways that may not be immediately apparent to him. Right. So that in a way, you're saying that even though bad things may happen to you, you still have a purpose. I think um, Callow, his friend, and then later boyfriend says, there's a use for everyone, I suppose. Yes. He's using me as a bad luck charm, Anders said at last. Mistral, the man I told you about. Although luck was a bad word, he felt close enough to Callow that he could say it in private. 
I've heard of such things, Callus said, shrugging. There's a use for everyone, I suppose. Yeah, that's a really interesting moral lesson to teach in a fairy tale. Yeah, I, I agree. I had started it not knowing exactly where I was going with it. And as I wrote it and realized that it was becoming grimmer and grimmer, I thought that that is not the direction that I really want to take it. I want, would rather say something positive and something happy. I think one of the most poignant parts, of course, is Anders is lamenting to Callow his situation. And he just says, I want my portion of happiness. And Callow responds with, do you think you can be happy regardless of fortune? Callow waited, then put his hand over Anders's. Old friend, do you have something to say? Anders shook his head. I think you do, Callow said kindly. They sat in a further silence while Anders frowned and frowned. I want my portion, he said at last. Your portion, Callow said, surprised. Did I not give you enough meat for supper? But Anders was not smiling. My due, that portion of happiness that I deserve, even the least of the other citizens gets it. Callow withdrew his hand. This is unlike you, Anders. Anders nodded. I've said nothing. I've seen fires and floods and cats and rain and thunder, and I've said nothing. He gestured around the shabbier apartment. All I want is enough of a portion of happiness. Is that too much to ask? Calla was silent for a while, thinking. We're all at the mercy of a roll of our dice, he said at last. You may never get the roll that you want. But do you think you can be happy regardless of fortune? I think that's that's also a really challenging question for anyone. How can you find happiness when things don't seem to be going the way you want them to? That's a hard question to answer, I think, for people in all circumstances. It is. Yeah, it is very hard. And what I, I would point out in the story is that I only ever allowed him that one moment to complain right. very, de very deliberately. Yes. Because it could have been very easy to make him sort of the sad sack and whatever. And that's the nice thing about Andrews is that regardless of what happens, he endures through it and he does the best that he can. And then you get the other side of the or the other side of the coin or the, the die, if you want. Sure. Yeah. The joke um, <laughs> that of the character of Mistral, who his response to the vicissitudes of fate is to ignore them and to not take advantage of the gift that he's been given. And he took his own dice, which Anders had never seen, from a pouch at his waist. They looked like real gold. They must be real gold, Anders thought, seeing Mistral weigh and heft them in his hand. The pips were diamonds, surely, sparkling in the dim light. They were like nothing Anders had ever seen. Mistral rolled them over in his hands. The light reflecting from them illuminated his broad, coarse face. You could do anything, Anders whispered. Anything you wanted. And here I am, a common thug, Mistral said. Interesting, isn't it? Why? 
Mistral rolled and rolled and rolled. Sixes and sixes and sixes. Every time, he said and sighed. Where could I find my challenge if I won every time? He's the mirror image. There's a scene where... Anders and Callow both are at school and the soothsayers come in and they do the test. You know, this is the test to determine whether your dice are going to give you a good life or a bad life or what your job's going to be and all that kind of thing. And I just couldn't help but thinking about all the standardized tests that we have to take as kids. Oh, yeah. That sort of puts you in the particular zone. And, you know, poor Anders, he doesn't have a chance to be anything. And, and the other thing is no one seems to consider that he could be anything else. That's the entire point. The scene where or the, where he's reading stories about people who roll good dice and have great lives because they don't write any other type of story. Yeah. As, as is our world, people who do not have particularly lucky lives are often blamed for their circumstances. When in fact, he just had the dice handed to him. Right. I mean, in many cases, it's very easy for those of us who've had good lives to look at those of us who've had bad ones and say, well, you know, they should have worked harder. They should have tried to rise above it or what have you. And I think it was a line from Star Trek, of all things, where you can do everything correctly and still lose. Um, you use fairy tale images, certainly in this story, but you also have modern references. Like on the one hand, we have talks about goats and blacksmiths. And then on the other hand, we've got a hospital and taxi cabs. What kind of world are you trying to create with this juxtaposition? When I first started writing it, I was thinking small medieval village. And then I thought, no, this is a modern story. This is a story that takes place in a world that is fairly similar to ours, mm -hmm. but a little less technologically advanced. You may notice that throughout the course of the story, their technology actually advances. Oh, okay. from the communication that he has with Callow goes from a postcard to a wireless signal to a video conference. That was supposed to be some indication that time was passing. So a bit of a combination of plus the the fact that, hey, you still had a soothsayer who came out with like bowls of dice right. in this totally modern situation where people are having video conferencing and, you know. I think we still have our own rituals that we perform that we've been culturally been doing for years and years. So it doesn't seem all that strange. I mean, maybe a little strange to think in terms of a blacksmith, because, you know, we don't see one of those on the corner usually. But we do carry things from our past. And of course, fairy tales reference the past and the way things were. You get this blend of, oh, okay, medieval goats and blacksmiths. But you also then get the hospitals and the taxis. And I think it brings the fairy tale world into the present, which then makes the story speak to us today, as opposed to being something that happened a long time ago. This is the first episode of a series of fairy tales. You knew this was going to be released all at once. So what were you trying to accomplish in this first episode? Maybe for the story itself, but then also maybe for the entire season. I actually thought of this as the prototype. This was... This was it was a proof of concept. Once I'd written all of them and I thought about the sequence of which thing they should go in, I still picked this one as the first one because I thought it was very strong out of the gate that it has a certain charm to it, I guess you could say. 
it's not necessarily hugely like challenging. Like the one that comes right after this is a pretty in your face challenging episode. But this one was more meant to be like, come and have a seat by the fire. Listen to what I've got to tell you. What do you struggle with? when you approach your writing? All of this came so easily. And then it suddenly came to an end. I wrote mm. about 100,000 words wow. over the past year. And then that was it. And I wonder, do I need to go undergo some more major surgery? <laughs> you know, it's jarred my memory. Well, I've heard of suffering for your art. That seems a little extreme, but... Uh... <laughs> it, it does. It does. I think this was the 20 years of not having written enough mm. coming out. So I struggle that... I kind of blasted through all of my ideas. I actually have a full list of ones for season two. Oh, good. The thing about season two, though, is I'd like to invite other people to write for it. One of the big reasons is I'm an old cis white guy. I've got my perspective, but that's only my perspective. I can only write from what I know and from what I can imagine. But there are people out there who have other voices and other points of views and I'd like to encourage them to tell their stories and tell their fairy tales, the things that have meaning to them. Do you have any advice for people who want to create audio drama? Don't let yourself be discouraged. And don't let yourself especially be discouraged by anything that you think other people might say or that other people say. And I've always thought this about writing, too, that if you want to do it, if you dream about doing it, then please do it because the world can always use more voices and you have a great story inside of you. Please let us hear it. Anders thought fiercely, frowning. But if you roll that way every time, why do you need me? Mistral tossed the dice above him and grabbed them out of the air, then put them back in his pouch. Who says I roll them? Anders opened his mouth to say something, but nothing came out. Like I said, Mr. went on, you're my good luck charm. When all you see in the world is rain, you're missing the sun that shines above the clouds. He coughed. Now get out of here. Musing on life is bad for business. Fairy tales often talk about the way the world was once upon a time. They also often tell tales of love and happily ever after. But the stories from the Lavender Tavern bring a familiar frame to new thinking, where the assumptions of the way love works can be looked at in a different way, and the moral lessons they teach reflect the here and now. The Lavender Tavern is available on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for the webpage links. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? 
How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.